We've been talking about win-win negotiations being the way of today and the future for so long now. So why penalise those good at it? Today we'll hear a new narrative about negotiators, specifically women as negotiators and leaders. Hi, I'm Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a podcast offering insights for women leaders. Why grit in the oyster? Well, because an oyster makes pearls from a foreign object or irritation. And that's often how we can feel as women leaders in organizations today. The trick is not to get spat out, but to grow into that natural gem. Through conversations with leaders and experts in the field of women in leadership, I hope to offer insight and inspiration as well as practical advice, helping you navigate those grit in the oyster moments or times in your career. It's an opportunity to reflect, to step out of the fray, to tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. It's my great pleasure to be joined today by Professor Laura Cray. Laura is the Ned and Carol Speaker Chair in Leadership at the University of California, Berkeley at Hass School of Business. She's a leading expert on the social psychological barriers influencing women's career attainment, the recipient of multiple research awards from the Academy of Management, the International Association of Conflict Management, and the California Management Review. In 2017, she was a fellow at the Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University. Laura has been featured in the Washington Post, New Yorker, Harvard Business Review, New York Times, Financial Times, Forbes, HuffPost, Scientific American, Business Week, and Time, and others. She's founded the Women's Executive Leadership Program of Berkeley Executive Education in 2008, and she remains the faculty director today. She's also the faculty director of the Center for Equity, Gender, and Leadership. A very warm welcome, Laura. Oh, thank you so much, Penny. It's, it's really a pleasure to be here with you here today. Well, thank you for joining us from California. I wonder if we could kick off, Laura, with just telling us about your leadership story. Sure. Yeah, I um, I have been a psychologist um, since 1997. I earned my PhD, and I've always been interested in uh, topics around decision making and sort of cooperation and competition. And so I made a move over to business school after completing my degree in social psychology. And from yeah. there, I went to uh, Northwestern University's Kellogg School, where I learned how to be a business school professor. And the first class that I taught was negotiations because there's so much psychology in negotiations. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'll admit that first time I was teaching it, I was a couple weeks ahead of the students in terms of uh, <laughs> the readings and, and you know, really uh, trying to, to get up to speed on a steep learning curve. And I remember the aha moment that came to me uh, that has really shaped the, the last 20 years of my career was just an innocent question that a student in the back of the room, a woman raised her hand. And she said to me, you know, you're teaching us all about how to negotiate here. And, you know, saying you need to anchor the negotiation, you know, sort of ask for more than what you think you'll get and yeah. you know, hold firm and all of that. And, and she said, this is all well and good, but what difference does gender make? And mm -hmm. uh, it was like a deer in the headlight moment for me because that wasn't my background at all. It wasn't my training. I, you know, as a social psychologist, I focus on how situations 
yes. you know, can change behavior, not so much personality or, you know, stable differences like gender. And so I said, oh, well, that's a great question. What do you all think? <laughs> and I gave them a homework assignment where they were supposed to describe what they thought the role of gender is in negotiations. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so, so from there I was off to the races because it was very clear that there was a, a stereotype that people held about negotiators that suggested, mm -hmm. you know, these masculine traits are, are really important. And um, that was just so happened to be around the time that Claude Steele, who is somebody who I've always admired, I actually took my first social psychology class with him at the University of Michigan when I was an undergrad. And yeah. he had this really influential new theory about stereotype threat. And it's this mm -hmm. idea that you know, when you're a member of a group that's negatively stigmatized in a particular domain, like in this case, women in negotiations, yeah. um, it can create a burden, you know, when you're trying to perform, or you've got that, you know, little voice in the back of your head saying, people don't think you can do it, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna mess up, and you might as well give up. And so I really wanted to study how how these stereotypes play out in negotiation. So that really was the moment, I guess I would say, where an opportunity was presented to me. And then just to complete the story, I think the moment when I decided to, quote, step into leadership was when after the class, you know, I kind of stalled them and said, okay, I want a homework assignment from you. You tell me what you think. And I went to a colleague of mine, a very senior, um, very you know, famous negotiation scholar. And I said to him, I said, do you ever get this question about gender? You know, what yeah. do you say? And his response to me was, I say, that's not an interesting question. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Now, credit, this is 97. And I've spoken to him since then about that comment. He doesn't remember <laughs> it, but he doesn't deny it, you know, but he, you know, he's certainly come a long way since then. And so it just, it, it became clear to me, you know, something's not right. I think we do need to study gender and we need to look at it systematically and we need to, you know, be skeptical. And so that's really where I decided, you know what, I'm going to shift my focus and, and really get to the bottom of this. That's fantastic. And also having that background really powerful because, you know, there is a stereotype that women don't ask and are not effective negotiators. And, you know, your work does challenge that and, and, and points to those negative stereotypes of women's competence as negotiators being based on actually quite a biased understanding of what is good negotiation. Well, what is an effective negotiator? Can you expand on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, there, there are two, two ways to address it. So as you said, people think that women aren't as good at negotiating because, you know, we're mistakenly thinking that negotiating is just about, you know, zero sum, you know, tug of war, you know, sort of battle of, of wills. And, mm -hmm. and we're not recognizing that there are these other aspects to negotiating, like listening and, you know, sharing information and trying to be creative that that maybe women might actually be really good at. And so yeah. that's one way of addressing it. And, and, you know, why do people think that? I mean, there's just, you know, sort of a, a fixed pie bias that people 
tend to, especially, you know, if you're untrained and just sort of based on what we hear out there, you know, and what we see in movies and, and whatnot, yeah, we tend to see these. very, I win, you lose. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But then on the other hand, the other, the other way I wanted to respond to your question is in some ways to question the premise itself, which is, mm-hmm. you know, to say, well, men are actually better at competition, but competition isn't the only thing that negotiating is. I would even say, we're not really even seeing that men are better at competition when it comes to negotiating. So okay, we can put men and women into the same situation. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a zero sum negotiation. And it's really through our experiments, we can, you know, kind of alter what is, you know, how people are framing negotiation in the moment. And when women are, you know, sort of encouraged to think about the skills that they already have coming to the table, they can be just as competitive, if not more competitive than men. That's really interesting. So is that at the heart of that is the stereotype threat? If they can sort of shrug off this burden of, uh, of I'm not going to be any good at this, it becomes less self-fulfilling. Is that what you're saying? That's right. So some of my early work, we, we coined this term uh, stereotype reactance. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a, a mouthful for, for a far simpler phenomenon, which is the I'll show you. Okay, so yeah. it's like if, if, if you're going to sit here and tell me that like, oh, to be a good negotiator, you need to have all these masculine traits and, and you know, sort of gender is subtly, you know, kind of in the message. Mm-hmm. I may succumb to that message and think I'm not I'm not as good and, and give up more easily. However, if we just we say the same thing and we just add on. Oh, and by the way, you know, men and women have been shown to differ in these traits that's where the light bulb goes off and women mm-hmm. say you may be say you know you may try and categorize women as a group but it's not true of me and and I'll show you right and nice. so i think about uh, michelle obama in her book becoming mm-hmm. um, you know when she was told she didn't stand a chance of admission to a school like princeton mm-hmm. her she recalls that her her thought to herself was in the moment i'll show you Right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's a certain persistence and, you know, sort of tenacity that that we're being reminded of these stereotypes can can call up in people. Yeah. So you yeah, you can either succumb to them or actually use them to fuel your your I'll show you ness. <laughs> That's right. So, That's right. So, you know, research and, and you know, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to just sort of get into other stereotypes that oh, women are the the nice, cooperative, empathetic and ethical people. And that's what they yeah. bring to um to negotiation. And then we just end up, you know, baking in these stereotypes of men and women as leaders. But that's right. You know, in, in in negotiating tactics, your 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 work does identify that women do tend to be more ethical in their negotiating tactics. Is that the case? Well, it's women have higher ethical standards as far as attitude attitudes go. So when we ask people, you know, how appropriate would it be to make a false promise, you know, just to get the deal done, even though you're not going to deliver on it. We see very consistently that women say that's not appropriate and they, they believe that they report that more than men do. Um, and there are a number of, you know, lo- lots of different categories of what we call ethically questionable behavior in negotiations right. that men find, you know, are more permissive about. Um, but now, as far as actual behavior, does this mean men are always doing these things more than women are? Uh, at least in laboratory studies, it's not that um, clear cut. 
And in fact, okay. I have published a paper where what we found is it wasn't so much that men are one way and women are another in terms of ethics, but that men and women, how they, how they work through this ethical dilemma that we set up for them in this negotiation mm. um, was more a function of who they were paired with. And we found that both men and women were more likely to be deceptive um, to tell somebody something, you know, that they wanted to hear to get the deal done, even though it was false. Men and women alike both did that more when their partner was a female than a male. That's interesting. Very interesting. So is it the fact that women tend to be more cooperative and empathetic in their negotiating tactics? Well, it's, I mean, we tried to, you know, we, we found this pattern in, in, in mm. behavioral data among MBA students in a classroom simulation, and we wanted to try and unpack what could be driving it. And generally, when we talk about stereotypes, and particularly with gender, you know, it's men are competent and strong, and women are, mm -hmm. you know, warm and, and, and caring. And yeah. so we tried to unpack those two different components and give people scenarios where somebody is either you know, very strong and incompetent or very incompetent. And then we gave them, and then in another set of studies, we, we manipulated whether the person was very nice or, or not very nice. And yeah, then we looked yeah. at how people, you know, presented people with a situation of imagine that you're trying to sell this something to them and you don't want to disclose that there's a defect. You know, how are you going to reason through this? And what we found in those studies was that people are most able to, you know, rationalize deception to themselves to, you know, to come up with an explanation or an excuse that enables mm -hmm. them to still feel good about themselves when they perceive the other party to be incompetent. It's the, you know, they had it coming. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> they deserve it. <laughs> they deserved it. They had it coming. They didn't, they didn't, you know, do their homework or, you know, they just don't know how to negotiate. And so it's excusable. Whereas, to your question of, is it because women are too nice? I mean, actually, we found pe people find it hard to justify lying to someone who they think is nice. So right. it's it's this negative stereotype about women's competence that we think is the most, you know, sort of putting them at the greatest risk. Yeah. And well, what are the effects of those stereotypes, do you think, in terms of their impact on their behavior or the impact on women leaders generally? Well, I mean, it can be demotivating, right? I mean, it, it can create stereotype threat. Like, I know these people don't think I know what I'm doing, um, mm -hmm. even though, you know, I do. It can create just unpleasant situations, especially if you're attuned to it. I mean, I recently was buying my car and I had, I had been leasing it and I went to go buy it and had agreed on all the terms. And when, when I was filling out all the paperwork, somewhere sandwiched in the middle of the paperwork, the, the dealer had um, added a $5,000 extended warranty without ever asking me. <laughs> it was nice of him. How generous. <laughs> and he said to me, he, he, he said to me, well, first of all, 99% of people want these. And I said, huh, really? And he said, and furthermore, I tried calling you twice. 
So apparently he tried to get in touch with me. He couldn't. And so he just defaulted to adding $5,000 on. So, you know, it's frustrating. I took the paperwork and ripped it up and walked out. You know, I, I yeah. was like, I'm not going to do this deal with you. And, and I don't think it's because I'm incompetent. It's because yes. you have this belief about me. You're categorizing me perhaps based on gender. Um, and so it, it can destroy people's what we call subjective value in the negotiation. It's sort of, it's a more negative experience. He didn't get a deal that day. No, I had to, yeah, I, had to, I, did, I did more work for myself by going yeah. through, you know, a different, d- different route. But um, so yeah. I paid a price too. Yeah, but still, sometimes you need to make those statements. Um, okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. What does the research tell us then about how gender plays out in striking deals and resolving conflict generally? Is there anything in there? Well, I mean, there are, there are some small differences that we see, you know, that are, are you know, in, in research that are called meta-analyses. So taking a body of research and, you know, combining it statistically to see, you know, are there any overall effects across samples, across studies, across you know, different experimental manipulations. And, and really what the research shows is that there's a, a very tiny, you know, advantage that men yeah. have on the, on the value claiming side of negotiations, but it's extremely context dependent. And when you hear about what some of the context variables are, you, you kind of scratch your head and say, that's not much of a difference at all. So for example, um, one of the key we call it a moderator, is um, have you ever once in your life negotiated before? That's one. If, you, if you've ever once negotiated before, then you don't count in the statistic that people like to cite, which is that men are better than women, okay? Because there's no difference if you've ever even once in a classroom, in real life, or Done if you're an thing. MBA <laughs> student or working in business, there are no gender differences. So this is a, you know, a psychology of sophomores phenomenon, you know, like yes. people who've never done this before. Um, so, you know, the, the differences are not as big as we, you know, like to tell ourselves. And I think one of the mm. reasons why we like to tell ourselves these differences is because we see really big differences out there in the world in terms of women's pay, in terms of women's, you know, yeah. career advancement. And we're trying to come up with an explanation and, and saying, well, maybe women aren't asking, they're not negotiating, enables us to sort of hold on to this belief in a just world. And a lot of your work actually changes that narrative. Uh, and it's not about some sort of deficit in, in women. And in some cases, do women outperform men in negotiations? We can we can create situations where they do. And that's where, you know, again, putting, you know, where, where we give people the identical negotiation scenario with a buyer and a seller and everything is the same except for how we frame it when they go into it. And so when we say to them, you know, research has found that effective negotiators are empathetic and emotionally intelligent, good listening mm-hmm. skills. And, and you know, again, we don't even have to connect those traits explicitly to, to gender because people draw that inference. Under those scenarios, you know, this is like stereotype threat for men, right? Like it's like yes. men do worse than women do. And so they're subtle. It's It really comes down to the set of beliefs that you're taking with you to the bargaining table, what you've done to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there's a, a new study coming out led by Jen, Jennifer Daniels at um, Dartmouth. And they, it, it was with among others, Maggie Neal from Stanford. And 
they analyzed a large data set of a negotiation simulation that that they had done, you know, in all many different contexts, online, in person, international samples, you know, across, you know, just a large sample of people who do executive education training in this one particular negotiation, new recruit that is, you know, I, I owe half of my CV to that exercise in terms of like, yes. it's a great one for <laughs> research purposes. And what they found is that there were no difference in performance between men and women, and that the only time a, a gender difference came out, and this is the real kicker, was when when women had a strong BATNA. So we we call a BATNA, mm -hmm. you know, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Yeah. And that's sort of like your number one source of power. So if you have a good alternative, you have more power, more leverage in the negotiation. Mm -hmm. And we found they found that um, it was under those circumstances that women underperformed relative to men. And so it's actually consistent with more of a backlash argument, which is if you're a powerful woman and you go in there flexing your power, then people yeah. are going to say, it, yeah, you know, expect to be to penalized, you. not rewarded. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. So you're right, there is this uh, this stereotype and this idea that women don't ask and they're not as good. And so, as you say, you can be burdened by that. So if, they, if women face these negative stereotypes that they are innately poor advocates for themselves, um, yeah. what can they do as individuals to shrug that off and to at least get a level playing field in their own minds to be able to frame what their negotiation capabilities are? Yeah, I think, well, so that's where I draw from the research of Carol Dweck on mindsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she distinguishes between the fixed mindset, you know, thinking that abilities are, are stable and fixed, such as good negotiators are born that way, and the growth mindset, which is, you know, intelligence or, or negotiating ability with enough hard work and effort. Yeah, anyone can become a more effective negotiator. And what we know from decades of research on mindsets is that the fixed mindset is a, is a stereotype. It's like it's it's when people have fixed mindsets, they they tend to stereotype more. They tend to pigeonhole people like you're either good mm -hmm. or you're bad. You're you know, you're this or you're that. And yeah. the way out of that, you know, sort of black and white thinking is the growth mindset. And so I think when women are armed with the growth mindset. It's about like, even if I fail in asking for this raise, um, if I stay at the table, I still might learn something. I still might get yep. some, you know, valuable feedback. And so it promotes persistence. It promotes trying different approaches, you know, okay, this didn't work. What about this? Let me ask this. And, and so that tends to be really the best predictor of, of negotiation performance. I published a paper a number of years ago with Michael Hazelhoun, and we tracked um, our students um, with their mindsets, uh, measuring their mindsets about negotiations on the first day of class, and then didn't look at it until you know 16 weeks later after the class was over and grades were turned in. And yeah. what we found retrospectively is that those students who went into the class with more of a growth mindset, they just excelled throughout. They learned more, they claimed more value, they created more value. We found that their peers rated them more positively. So we think it's just a, a less defensive sort of approach yes. and yep. tends to be more appealing to people. That's really interesting. So why do you think, I mean, so many women I know, often senior experienced executives, experienced confident executives, find negotiating, especially if it's for themselves, why they find that so challenging? Well, probably because based on the experiences that they've had, right? So, yeah. you know, there's what happens in the, in the 
confines of the laboratory and how we can tease things apart and say, look, like she's doing the same thing that he's doing. But because mm -hmm. people do, in fact, tend to treat her differently for doing that same thing, it becomes a more challenging experience. And so it's not their imagination, right? But it, I mean, it's, it's the mistake is to see it as something inherent to you. It's like, don't yeah, blame some the victim. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So becoming much more insightful and skillful about the situation and how you manage that in yourself. Yeah, I'd say so. And depersonalizing it and, and doing what you need to do to psych yourself up. And that, mm -hmm. and if that means, you know, oh, I know I'm cutting against the grain here of cultural stereotypes, because I'm going to go in and beat my chest and say, look at me, how great I am. And I deserve this raise. You know, all of that is, is not likely to, to go over well. Um, it can go over a little bit better to the extent that in our minds and, is, and also in terms of what we express you know, we, we have a clear rationale in our minds for why we're asking for what we're asking for that is beyond just our own self-interest, right? Whether it yeah. be, you know, I need to feed my family or it's, I, you know, I'm trying to help my team here and get the resources they need so we can do the highest quality mm -hmm. work and, and framing what we're asking for in terms of the interests of, you know, the, our counterparty, our boss in this case, here's how I can be more productive for you. Right. And how this, yeah. you know, through what I'm asking for is not just about me. And that's, you know, it's kind of annoying to, to that we have to do those, you know, sort of gymnastics in a way that that men don't seem to have to do as much. But that seems to be, you know, levels the playing field. Right. And so using that language just enables the, the gender stereotype of us being communal and looking after everybody. Uh, we won't get penalized for actually asking in that respect if it's for somebody else. And is it the case that women are more successful negotiating when it's representational, when they're representing others? Yeah, I think that that, that is a, a robust finding in the literature that mm. um, that, that women, you know, gender differences tend to close out when when it's on when we're advocating for others, more so than when it's on on behalf of oneself because of these these stereotypes. So yeah, yeah. So you, your work also talks about um, you know how women prepare themselves, not just tactically to say who they're doing it for, but even just the you know the the self talk beforehand about why am I here. <laughs> You know, why Absolutely. am I doing this? And, you know, am I am I grounding myself and my values? Uh, you know, and it seems to sort of fuel their courage and uh, their skill and their persistence in asking. Can you expand a little on that? Yeah, so that's where, you know, if we take stereotype threat and this phenomenon of, you know, just the burden of the threat of the stereotype mm. can can depress our performance. Claude Steele also has some very influential research earlier on in in his career on self-affirmations, self-affirmation theory. Yep. And I don't mm -hmm. know if, uh, you know, your, your listeners are old enough to remember Stuart Smalley, the character from, uh, this was yeah. uh, Al Franken. And he'd be like, yeah. gosh, darn it, I'm good enough. And, you know, I'm smart enough and people like me. And of course, it's a funny little video clip that I like to show in class, but it, there, it actually is true. And so when you connect with, you know, your values. And it's sort of like, here's why I am inherently a valuable person, because I'm somebody who, you know, really values the pursuit of knowledge and truth. And, and we all have different values, but like, that's my central value. 
And so when I remember that, right, then I, it creates a buffer against these psychological threats that might come along in the negotiation. And so it enables me to stay at the table and, you know, not, not internalize people saying no, or all the pushback that, that we often get. And so Zoe Kinius, who's a professor at INSEAD in, in Singapore, published a paper just recently where they gave their incoming MBA students a self-affirmation exercise during yeah. you know, their orientation and then tracked their grades over the course of the first semester. And what she found is that when women did this, you know, sort of connected with their with their values, it closed out the achievement gap in their core classes in, in the first year wow. of the MBA program. So, you know, there, I think this is, it's, it's one of those. Self-estimation. Smalley. <laughs> Go Stuart, we say. <laughs> so yeah. listen, what's going on? Why do these gender stereotypes persist? Why are we still talking about this stuff? Well, I mean, you know, they're cognitive shortcuts that aren't, mm -hmm. you know, easily extinguished, right? And and that'd you know, be millennia in the making, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, right. And and they trace from you know divisions of labor within the home and gender roles in society, and you know, as much as we are moving towards parity, we have not gotten there. And you know, most women, if you give them a, a, a series of traits that are, you know, stereotypically feminine women will rate themselves as higher on them than men will. And likewise on the masculine traits, I mean, we see a, less of a difference. So women tend to see themselves as, you know, masculine and feminine, whereas men sort of dissociate from the, from the feminine. Um, and yeah. I think some of the reasons for that have to do with how we define masculinity and, and, yeah. you know, sort of the gender hierarchy and that at least in men's mind, these masculine traits are more highly valued. They're sort of the elite, uh, you know, what's justified them being at the in the dominant group in our social hierarchies yeah. and so they kind of push away the feminine so there's you know it's not just cognitive shortcuts it's cognitive shortcuts but it's also it's also motivation it's our goals what are we trying to achieve and if, if you're already in the dominant group one of your goals may be to preserve that position and so we engage in tactics that are motivated, you know, to say, well, those other mm -hmm. traits aren't as valuable. That's interesting. But women will embrace more masculine traits than men will feminine traits? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, and mm. I think that's just, you know, a reflection of the changing world that we live in. I mean, we know mm. that mas these masculine traits are are valued in our in most societies. And so, you know, we want to we want to identify with them and own them. But we also know that these feminine traits are also quite valuable. Incredibly valuable. You know, like uh, building long-term relationships, building relational capital. Surely these are critical executive skills and key to this collaborative non-zero-sum game, negotiations, conflict management, leadership. Why is it taking so long for this to be valued? Again, you know, these forces that are working against us in terms of, you know, people who are motivated to preserve the status quo. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, as we're moving, you know, more 
deeply into the 21st century and what the changes that we see around us in terms of, you know, just more, we're more interdependent and interconnected than ever before. And we're interacting with more and more people who are different from us, you know, where we have more diverse workforces and we need to come together and create this collective intelligence. We are seeing things changing and that's where, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like you're going to, you know, if, if, you're going to come up with better solutions to problems, better products, et cetera, to the extent that you have taken into account, you know, the viewpoints of multiple stakeholders and, and some of how that works. I'm thinking of Anita Woolley's research on you know, just sort of turn taking in groups. <laughs> you get a group mm-hmm. together, we're going to brainstorm, like how effective are we going to be at it? And one of the things that she finds is that you know, it's just how how much equal participation of turn taking is there? Is one person dominating the discussion or is everybody getting a turn? And one of the best predictors of whether everybody gets a turn is the number of women in the group. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, you also mentioned earlier that the uh, women's competence was uh, also played out by depending on who their counterpart was and, and what their gender was. So can you can you just expand on that? Women operate differently when they're negotiating with women uh, and men? Yeah, in that study, we did find that um, women, you know, this is one of the first studies where we had what we call a fully crossed design with men and women. Right. So we had men and men negotiating, women and women, and then we had, you know, men and women, and then we varied within the mixed di- mixed sex dyads, whether the male was the buyer or the female was the buyer. So okay, we had yeah. every combination. And in this particular negotiation, the dilemma, the ethical dilemma was set up, it was posed to the buyers because they were going in and wanted to buy this property on behalf of their clients and do something to it that the sellers would never agree to. And so what we found is that even women, although it was a smaller sample of female-female pairs than than the male-male and the mixed sex, that both men and women were more likely to lie to get this deal done when their partner was a female than when their partner was a male. And so again, I think that speaks to, I mean, stereotypes are culturally, you know, shared, they're socially shared constructions. And so, you know, if you believe the stereotype, you know, in that moment, you're motivated to act on it and say, well, she's, you know, probably not going to scrutinize me, right? She's not going to push back. Um, Then, you know, again, it's, it's buyer beware, or in this case, seller beware. Um, So it's not that, you know, this certainly isn't men are bad and women are good. I mean, we're all yeah. prone to, to acting opportunistically on stereotypes when it suits us. Yeah. And quite unconsciously. That's right. Yeah. No, they had yeah. no conscious awareness that they, that this pattern, you know, was emerging. Oh, that's fascinating. Lauren, thank you so much for coming and sharing your research. I wonder, finally, what advice would you have for my listeners, most of whom are women executives, women leaders, or aspiring women leaders, about striking deals, negotiating, asking, resolving conflict? I love, you know, you've already sprinkled it through with self-affirmations and shrugging off that burden of stereotype, but is there any final advice? Yeah, I mean, it's it's working together, right? It's, it's, we can't, you know, I, I think some of these solutions that are out there in the, in the popular press, like, you know, just 
ask or lean in, right? I mean, it's, yeah. they may be well-intended, right? But we know that they have a negative, we now have enough research that has followed from the emergence of these messages to know that yeah. they can have unintended it doesn't consequences. Work. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a structure, there are structural issues going on. So, is, you know, ask yourself, why does the squeaky wheel get the grease? You know, aren't there yeah. some standardized ways in which we want to be thinking about compensation and transparency and pay bans and all of this stuff? And how can we share information with each other? How can we support each other. And, you know, in my experience of, you know, those few times when I've had to go into the dean's office and, and bang on the door and say, you know, I really need X, Y, and Z, oftentimes that can really be facilitated by me going to some of my colleagues who support me and saying, could you go do this for me? And, yep. you know, and, and likewise, I've done it for them, right? So it's, it's about, you don't want to be doing this on your own, right? To the extent mm -hmm. possible, have a community, have support, have mentors, have sponsors, push for accountability and transparency. And hopefully, you know, by stepping up and leaning in, and making these structural changes, we can close out some of these, you know, longstanding gaps that, that remain. Fantastic. Laura, thank you so much, A, for the work you do, and B, for, for joining me today from, uh, from California. It's just been fantastic, A, the, the depth of your work, and I think also the, the real challenge uh, around changing the narrative, because, you know, we, we leap into stereotypes around what women's capability is, and we've been talking about win-win negotiations for decades now, which really should advantage women, <laughs> and yet we yeah. proceed with a, with a winner-take-all sort of stubborn paradigm when we know it actually doesn't work. So that's just been fantastic. A, really encouraging to see that uh, it's not about some deficit, it's not a skill set, but uh, women can actually also manage themselves in terms of coming to their negotiations and they're asking very skillfully. Real pleasure to talk to you, Laura. Thank you so much. Professor Laura Cray. Oh, thank you so much, Penny. It was really my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast platform and join me again soon. You can also find more information and resources on building your best leadership self on pennydevolt.com, including my blog that covers topics from how to negotiate powerfully as a woman and building your authority through to having your voice heard and boosting confidence, all in support of building your leadership career.